Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 58. There is Hello. so much to talk about here. Brad's awkward comments early on in the episodes where he just interjects random things. Uh, Saying hello was not <laughs> random. <laughs> the way you said it made me think of uh, Gus from Psych. I don't know. Oh, that's <laughs> what that I was what you were channeling? That's, that's what I was going You were for. channeling Gus. Hello. <laughs> what does he call himself in that episode? I love that one where he's in the radio DJ. A play a, a play a a play named Gus. Gus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have much different news than Psych, though we should just talk about Psych for an episode. That'd be way more fun. <laughs> Fantastic TV show. <laughs> it's beautiful. There are two big things in the news. The abortion law in Texas, which is uh, people presented as a challenge to Roe v. Wade. They've said all kinds of things about it, most of which is BS. Most, I mean, let me put that a little more diplomatically. Most of which, <laughs> most of which does not quite grasp what happened. Let's put it that way. And as usual, the first reaction is to, to make it sound much bigger, like a much bigger deal than it is. And the other thing that's happening, I mean, Afghanistan, it's the week of 9-11. We did an episode last week on foreign policy talking about that kind of sphere of things. Um, and of course, the vaccine mandates, which have come out. We can only talk about one of these things. There's so much to talk about related to vaccine mandates and the abortion law. Today, we're going to talk about the abortion law. Set aside the vaccine mandates for now. The abortion law is so strange. And there's so much related to this issue. As Brad and I were prepping for this, this has got to be the hardest prep in a long time. And perhaps the hardest one for me. The the issues related to it are just... Some of it is very clear to me. And some of it is very unclear. (laughs) I can draw some lines. And in other areas, I'm really not sure. And we're going to walk through that a little bit, and we're going to talk about the law itself. We're going to talk about Roe v. Wade. We're going to talk about the way that the debate is had between the parties and, and the way, uh, you know, the differences in stance. And then we're going to go into what exactly should be done about it. How do you, how do you address this issue? How do you talk about this issue? How do you, mm-hmm. if, if it is what conservatives believe it is, how do you remedy it? Because that's what, that's the court is supposedly a conservative court pushing a conservative solution here in this example. Um, that's up for debate, <laughs> as you'll see as we get into the details. <laughs> um, but certainly Roe v. Wade is a, is a big issue that splits the parties in a very strong way. Absolutely. One of the more partisan issues out there. And we've mentioned it in the past in discussing partisanship. Now, one thing we said about it before that I think still stands very, very well is that the solution to this one way or another is probably not going to be through law because of how big of an issue it is to the people involved and because of I mean, just how firmly opposed the beliefs are. You can't get a more, this isn't a, a situation where you can say, well, you do your thing and we'll do ours. The The views are mutually incompatible. You can't. Mm-hmm. This isn't like, well, in your state, you deal with gun control your way and we'll deal with it in ours. This is something very, very different. And that makes it very hard to to come to any solution. And it makes it very difficult for the legal system to impose a solution one way or another because of how strongly people feel about it. 
But before we get to that, Dan, let's talk about the law itself, both the law in Texas and the Supreme Court's response to it. So first, we've got the law in Texas, which is a, a novel approach to, to abortion. So of course, uh, conservative governments have been basically continually applying different forms of, of abortion regulation and abortion restriction in their states ever since Roe v. Wade, obviously before Roe v. Wade, but even after Roe v. Wade, some kind of abortion law is not unique. And right. in fact, since Roe v. Wade and and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was a an, a clarification and a slight revision of Roe v. Wade, so mm-hmm. in this case, it's actually more more relevant. Is actually you know Planned Parenthood versus Casey, but in either case, you know abortion, even though it's protected under those Supreme Court rulings as a right, there are things that that government can do in regards to abortion and conservatives. Conservative governments are always trying to push that envelope. As Dan was saying, it is a very partisan issue. And so conservatives are unabashedly clear that they want to ban all abortion or at least almost all abortion. Right. And and this is an attempt to do that. I mean, this is like I said, it's a novel case. It's definitely approached in a different way. First of all, the uh yeah, you can do the ban is extensive in that it starts at six weeks, which is very, very early on. Early on enough that by the time you find out you're pregnant, the the ban is basically going yeah, to six be six weeks place. from your last period. What's what's unique though about this legislation is how it's enforced. Instead of being enforced by the government, what they're doing and what 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 uh critics are describing as uh as vigilantism is they're allowing individual citizens to sue not the uh the person getting the abortion but any doctor or individual who helps them to get the abortion they're they're allowed to sue them and they're given standing by this law that any citizen of the state of Texas can sue someone for helping an abortion yeah it's and that is is something new it's a sort of common good argument that it's for the good of Texas everyone really is harmed by this and thus everyone has standing Mm-hmm. And it is new. It's novel. If- you could, you, there's a couple different ways that you can push cases. Like Brad was saying, you can push cases with the goal of creating a case that goes to the Supreme Court that you hope the court will rule favorably. Or you can create something that you hope bypasses the, the precedents as they stand and lets you get around it. This is clearly aiming at getting around it. Absolutely. This is not their desired goal when it comes to abortion. They would like to just ban it in the traditional sense. But by having it be something that's tried in civil courts where the uh, where the government is not prosecuting these individuals, but rather individual citizens are simply suing them. They're hoping to get around the Supreme Court cases that have banned abortion laws. Yeah. Which is really weird. It, it's, it's which is which makes for really weird laws. And as you look at this Texas law, a lot of the provisions are are questionable at best. <laughs> and I would say that some of them are just straight up. Some of them are just straight up awful. Um, one of one of the examples of that is that uh, 
is that the defendant, so the the doctor, I mean, most likely we're talking about a yeah. doctor here or maybe an organization, you know, maybe it's a clinic or something, but we're just going to say doctor from now on to make it easier. The doctor, the defendant can't recoup their costs or their attorney fees if they win. So so you as an, as an individual citizen hear about the $10,000 that you can win from one of these cases, you sue you know, 300 doctors, because why not you or you're, you're a, you're a abortion activist group. Like that's who that's, who's going to do this, right? You're yeah, an abortion activist group. group. So you, a pro-life group and you sue a whole bunch of doctors and those doctors, you know, they hire lawyers. They spend, they spend time and money, a lot of time and money defending themselves. Cause you know, if you're, if you're a doctor who does abortions on a regular basis, that's a lot of cases you're going to have to fight and you win every single one and you as a doctor win every single one you're still going to have at this point you could potentially have hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees and the law is very clear that you cannot recoup those fees from the people who sued you which means you have to pay every single dollar of that which means even if you win you still yeah, lose. it makes the accusation a penalty right it makes the accusation a punishment, a punishment yeah. itself um, it's a which is a which is a disturbing precedent. Right, this this has nothing to do with abortion, right? This is just a, a a legal principle that generally, if someone falsely accuses you of something, or if they the the winner of the case, the other person often pays their legal fees, and it's not always, not always but very right? often. And the reason is because you don't want people suing someone. You, you get someone, for example, you get a big company like Walmart, and it sues a small competitor. It could sue them over and over and over again on false just pretenses to them. because – and just watch their – yeah, why exactly to bankrupt them. Watch their money run out before Walmart's does and then that company goes out of business. Now, there's, there's ways that you can get around it even if you do have to pay the legal fees. What you do is you draw it out so there's never a settlement in the hopes that they run out of money before you're forced to pay their legal fees. <laughs> um, but in general, you – you don't want to open the door for people to sue in a circumstance where suing will accomplish their purpose whether they win or not, which is what this does. You can you could close an abortion clinic by suing them repeatedly, even if you don't win. And, and I, I say abortion clinic. You probably would win if it's an abortion clinic. You could sue anybody, right? And call it and say they're performing abortions and and cause them to lose large amounts of money. And that's that's mm-hmm. just not a good legal principle there. It's just not a good way to design the law. Yeah, and there and there are more aspects of this law. For example, you as an individual in one county in Texas could sue a clinic or a doctor across the state, and that lawsuit would have to be settled that you initiated in your county. And that means that that doctor or that clinic would have to travel in order to deal with what basically i mean with to deal with your lawsuit but they could be being they could be sued by seven different other other activist groups or individuals in seven other counties and have cases across the entire state that they have to answer to and deal with and that i mean that's clearly it's clearly as dan was saying a penalty or a punishment before any guilt has been established right. and because this is a civil suit not a not a criminal conviction the 
the burden of proof is different. You don't need to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt a reasonable doubt that mm-hmm. or reasonable doubt. Thank you. That <laughs> shadow of a doubt's cooler. The, it's way cooler. I'm going with shadow of a doubt. I would probably change it. But but you don't have to. You don't need that burden of proof. You need mm-hmm. a, a much lower burden of proof and there are more provisions in this law limiting how the defense can defend themselves in order to further increase the likelihood that you will win and they will have to pay. In other words, this law is simply trying to ban abortions through another means. In other words, they're trying to make it so prohibitively expensive to perform an abortion that, you know, 99% of the clinics out there 99% 99% of the doctors out there who perform abortions will have to stop. That is how the law is designed. Yeah, it's just not going to be lucrative. You'd end up going bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting approach. Uh, obviously, the the novelty of the main mechanism aside, the, uh, you know, setting aside the the vigilante, <laughs> as they've described it, and I, I actually like that word in this case, and but that may be because I don't have the negative connotation associated with it that some people do. <laughs> I'm all I'm all about vigilance. I, I don't think there's a the police have any authority beyond what's already an individual's authority. So there, in my mind, there is no distinction between an individual doing it and a and a mm-hmm. another person. Mm-hmm. But that's then and a police officer. But that's that aside. The law is. The legal things in the law, I don't like. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's, rest, it's a bad. It's a bad law. law. It really is. I don't. I don't like and the it's legal a law precedents. that conservatives should not be in favor of, regardless of how you feel about abortion. Getting what you want, getting your political agenda accomplished through a law like this, is, I think, a really bad idea. Because even if you win, even if this law, it's actually, especially if you win, if this law stands we're all going to suffer because it's such a terrible precedent for for legislation in general, for right. having a system that works this way. It's just a bad Right, idea. and there might be a version of this law that keeps the primary mechanism that, that I would be more comfortable with. But as it is, this mm-hmm. I don't like this law much. Um, I think it's very novel, and I think it's really interesting. So what happened with the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court was deciding whether or not to put a stay on this law. This often happens when there's when there's a law about to come into place and it's going to conflict with uh, some legal precedent, it's going to raise questions, they often put a stay on the law until the courts work it out, right? Until there's no reason to put a questionable law into place until things are worked out. In order to do this, you, you, you have to have a case. <laughs> it takes a case to determine whether to stay a law. It takes a case for everything in the courts. Um, the, mm-hmm. the basic function of the court is to decide a case and controversy. Without a case, without a controversy, there can be no decision. They can't just make rules. And that, that's one thing that has never changed and I hope never does. So there has to be a case. So what is the case? Well, a group sued a judge based on the fact that he would be enforcing this unconstitutional law. And this is how this, this is often how this happens. You pick, there's, there's a law that's going to come into place in a state and it's going to be against the constitution or so the argument goes. And so you, you pick a state actor, a state official, a judge, uh, the attorney yeah. general, somebody. It doesn't really matter who. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah. It's someone who's enforcing, someone the who's law. enforcing someone who's the in law. that enforcement group. Right. 
And the poor guy has his name on the case, even though he's not personally involved in any mm-hmm. way. <laughs> it's funny that yeah, way. Yeah. You're like, why did they sue the Secretary of State? Like, I don't, I don't get why. Yeah, yeah. Who, who is this yeah. guy? And what did he what do? Did he do? N- nothing. nothing. It doesn't really doesn't matter. matter. He's a representative of the state as an as the institution that's enforcing the law. And they bring this before the Supreme Court, and they say, "We need a stay. This is going to be happening. Here's the, our case. Here's how it works." And the liberal justices. And Roberts, who is, I, his political beliefs are, who knows what? <laughs> There's, a, they are consistent in some ways, but it's not with a ordinary political thinking and ideology. He's, he's odd. And then there's the five other conservative justices, and they decide not to put a stay on a lie on the law, not to stop it. So it's going to go into effect. The liberal justices rightfully say. This law is going to have to be decided by us, and it's awful. That's true. I agree with that assessment, even though I disagree with them on on a lot of the principles around it that we're going to get into later regarding abortion. And the conservatives go, yes, but look at this. They've brought this judge before us who literally has nothing to do with the law. Normally, normally they, we were saying, normally the because state normally guy the state is, is vaguely enforcer. related. He's an enforcer. Mm-hmm. He represents the state. But in this case, the state isn't enforcing it. It's civil action. It will be private citizens enforcing this law, which is to say that even more so than usual, <laughs> this judge has nothing to do with it. And the Supreme Court's like, you can't bring this guy, the five conservatives, you can't bring this guy and say this is the case in controversy. It's not. This guy will literally never have anything to do with this and never could. He, he's, he's on the side, just like anybody, just like mostly everyone else, which is to say you need a real case in controversy to come in here and have us even decide whether to really formally put a stay on it. And I agree with them too. I agree with both the liberals and the conservatives <laughs> on the on the weirdness of this. You know, it's it's funny because because everything makes sense when you think about it. You know, Texas created this very funky law mm-hmm. in order to avoid um having the Supreme Court take strike the law down, which obviously immediately worked in the sense that they didn't immediately place a stay on mm-hmm. it, which they could have. And then, of course, the Supreme Court is accused of of partisanship and of party politics and of legislating from the bench and all the all the things they're <laughs> yeah. accused of when they do something you don't like for actually not doing those things. Because in the, in the sense of the Supreme Court, not if the Supreme Court had placed a stay on the law, it would have been not because that was their job. But because they dislike the law so much, which would be partisan, which would be political. Instead, I mean, and I think, and you could argue that the, that the conservative justices did the legally right thing for political reasons, and that's fine. You can always argue that for any Supreme yeah. Court decision, but it doesn't change the fact that when it comes to what the Supreme Court should do, they were following that more closely than the than the liberal justices who dissented or Roberts who dissented. Right, you know, right. Any of those four. Which brings us to a strange place because I would guess what happens next is that they get the the right case. They get somebody who actually sues an organization or a doctor. 
and they bring them in and they say, will you please put a stay on this and we'll work this out in the courts. And I bet mm-hmm. the courts, the Supreme Court will say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll put and it a stay on it. it may not even be the Supreme Court. Yeah, it'll it be an appeals a, court. A, a lower and, court mm-hmm, or, a, mm-hmm. or a state court. Right, right, right. And, which is to say that what happened here is nothing. No, and the Supreme Court in their in their unsigned, I wouldn't even call it a ruling. I'm not sure what you <laughs> I call it. I don't know it, what you call it either. But in their, their unsigned statement, they they are very clear that they are not closing the door to any of those avenues mm-hmm. that 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 this can be stayed by someone else and and very likely will be they're they're more than happy to acknowledge that they're not trying as some have argued to overturn Roe v Wade yeah. <laughs> by not saying this law right. that's not what's going right. on here they're not even trying to support the law they're not even trying to support the law at least it, let me, like you said, maybe that is their goal in taking this action. But they're taking the right legal action in terms of the way that cases and controversies work before the court. They've made the, what I think is objectively the right call, which is to say, you need to bring us an actual case that, that shows this. Because the Supreme Court's job is not to block any law that they disagree with politically. Right. That's not right. their job. Their job is only to block a law if certain criteria are met in a very specific way and then go and and try that case. You know, there's a process here that the Supreme Court is supposed to follow, (laughs) Uh but it turns out that people only want the Supreme Court to follow that process when it benefits them. Yes, and it's in the Supreme Court to be – to the Supreme Court is the old organization, right? Everybody in it is relatively very old. The average age is very old. They will they're follow. They're also just old. They're not relatively old. <laughs> they are, they're, that's true. Who's the youngest Supreme Court justice? <laughs> I don't know at this point. Nobody young. Nobody we would rightfully say is young. <laughs> um, the point is, but you're absolutely right that, that, that they, and that makes them much more likely to follow the procedural things than any other group. The, the way, the way it's structured, the way they're in there for life, all of it, all of it will make the Supreme Court the last group of any political group anywhere in the world to abandon procedure. And if, and frankly, it's too boring for the political news media, (laughs) right? It's, it really is too boring for them to be like, guys, this looks like something happened, but nothing happened. They're like, no, something happened. We're going to capitalize on it. They're threatening Roe v. Wade. And we've already learned, especially in this, in this age of, of extremes and of internet memes that, and this is, of course, something people are talking about very often with with COVID is that the facts don't super matter. You know, <laughs> the fact yeah, that the yeah. Supreme Court just made a technical decision, they didn't actually rule on this law, let alone on Roe v. Wade, doesn't slow anyone down <laughs> in terms of in terms of media coverage. Uh-huh. You know, no one's freaking out and saying, "Well, these all these news media agencies are wrong." Well, of course, conservative news agencies are, but in general, they're not losing any viewership for misreporting the facts. You know, no one's getting hurt by this politically. They are, they're aware of, of what they're doing because what they're doing is working, you know, and that's part of why things keep becoming so partisan because no one's willing to stop and say, Hey, I agree with your goal, but not the way you're executing it. You know, just like with the the Texas lawmakers, you know, conservatives are pro-life. 
And so it doesn't matter how messed up the law is, as long as it's pro-life, they'll back their their Texas mm-hmm. conservative representatives. And that's a real problem. Just like the liberals are, you know, the 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 liberal, you know, the liberal news media is also you've got, you know, liberal congressmen and congresswomen who are talking about how awful the Supreme Court is and they're not being called out for it. And that's a real problem on both sides. It's a real problem that we can't see even a single shade of nuance. Yeah. It's the wartime mentality. It's they're on the same side. We're Mm going to support them. They're on the, the, the nuance is dangerous to winning the battle. And so you avoid it. It's, it's a, it's silly. So that's, that's where the abortion law in Texas is. I, I predict it will get a stay in the near future. And then it will be decided in the courts. And maybe they'll decide it based on the precedence of Roe v. Wade. Maybe it'll get struck down for some of the other things that we mentioned, that it's, that it's clearly targeting certain things and that it's, that it's not, it is deliberately not neutral on areas where the law normally it's tries made to, to be, be neutral. neutral. Yeah. 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 The, in the procedural things, in the procedural things. Um, it, it may, it might run into problems there that are such that it never ends up being a Supreme Court case about abortion at all. Which would be interesting. Which, <laughs> which wouldn't stop the news media from making it about the Supreme Court upholding Roman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't yeah, stop yeah. The, the machine. Um, but that, that brings us to Roe v. Wade in general and the, and the legal precedence of abortion. The, you, you mentioned Planned Parenthood versus Casey. We've talked about legal precedent since the Supreme Court before a little bit. The Supreme Court and what they did with Roe v. Wade is I, the details are, are probably not even worth rehashing at this point. You should know that the, the Supreme Court at this point in, mo, in a lot of its decisions is simply a political body. It's not a judge. It's not doing something extraordinary. They're making partisan decisions based on their politics. And Roe v. Wade was an example. Which is, which is why we were so willing to acknowledge that the conservative justices may be choosing the <laughs> correct action, but for the wrong reasons, for the political reasons. Right. They might, because that's, that's normal at this point in so many cases. Uh, and Roe v. Wade is absolutely that. Roe v. Wade claims there's a right to, uh, abortion within a certain time frame. You know, the, the, the trimester thing comes from Roe v. Wade, uh, which is a completely anti-science view of mm-hmm. pregnancy <laughs> which is which is why which is why that part gets changed that part gets changed later right right Casey. it's discarded because it's arbitrary and you get this principle of viability and you get this idea that abortions are protected up to viability uh all of that if you if you give a cursory glance to the constitution and the amendments to the constitution you will not find the slightest hint of anything vaguely related to abortion. Mm-hmm. Nothing even vaguely related. To get to the point where you see in the Constitution a constitutional right to that is, is not a misreading of the Constitution. It's an anti-reading. You've decided yeah. not to read it, and you've decided to put things in it, right? Yeah, and so so when when experts and and pundits are talking about how what's going on here is flagrantly unconstitutional, that's obviously 
an overstatement of the most <laughs> extreme degree because there is there is no clause in the Constitution about protecting the right of abortion. And that's what Dan's talking about with the Supreme Court is that the Supreme Court is built on precedent and the precedent is simply previous rulings, which means you can deviate just ever so slightly from the constitutional text in a Supreme Court ruling and it'll stand. And then you deviate from that deviation just a little bit. And over 200 years, you can find yourself in a situation where based off of, you know, uh, pregnant pauses in the text of the Constitution, you can have an entire <laughs> legal system that is considered part of, of the Constitution. I mean, you can look at the Interstate Commerce Clause and you have the exact same thing where the Supreme Court has blown that out of proportion, where now – Almost any act that any person commits in any state doing anything can be construed by the Supreme Court to either be unconstitutional or constitutionally protected, depending on how they're feeling. And that's what that's what Dan's talking about here is that it's not just about abortion. It's not just about Roe v. Wade. It's simply about the makeup and the way the Supreme Court rules. It is a legislative body. We need to embrace that. That when that when the Supreme Court decided not to block this law summarily, it was a political action. Even though it might be technically correct, it is a political action. <laughs> yeah, that's the way people think of it. Because if 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 the Supreme Court had different had more liberal justices, they probably would have dismissed it summarily. Yeah, there would have been an immediate and stay. And they would have mm -hmm. given whatever reasons, and it wouldn't be technically correct. But the fact that it was technically correct was simply because more of the Supreme Court justices were leaning a certain way politically. Yeah, and, and supposedly, uh, supposedly the conservative justices are picked specifically because of their loyalty to the original text. And that... And that's only partially true. That's partially true. true. Right, right. We'll grant that that's partially true. And that a few of them over the years, I think, have that kind of commitment. Um, but, but in general, I think to think of the Supreme Court as a political body is the right way to think of it, as Brad was saying. Um, it, sometimes, like I've spent my whole life, you had to say, what is, what has been my life in terms of education and practice? It has been to get to the point where I can read something. And I can understand it. And reading the opinions on Roe v. Wade are some of the funniest reading I've ever done in my life. I've <laughs> laughed myself to tears on more than one occasion because they're clearly making stuff up and they know it. Mm -hmm. You quoted a little bit of it, right? The In the pregnant pauses of the Constitution is something a Supreme Court justice actually talks about in the, in the penumbras of the words, yeah. the shadow that they cast. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it'd be, it'd be, it's, it is still funny to me. It'd probably be more funny or maybe be less funny if it weren't about something so serious. Whatever the case, it's tragic. I think it'd be less it'd funny. It'd be less the funny, fact, but it's also the tragic. The fact that it's so significant and it's so garbage is part of what makes it so right. funny. I, I, I think. <laughs> That's, that's true. That's true. If it weren't happening at the highest levels of, of legal interpretation of words, it would be less fun. But before you get, before you get lost in the penumbra, Dan, <laughs> penumbra I want to words. clarify why we're even talking about Roe v. Wade. We're talking about it because what we're saying is that when it comes down to it, first of all, abortion is really not a constitutional issue. No. 
It's not a constitutional issue, it is a political issue. But the thing is, is the Constitution can be amended, the Constitution can be changed. You know, if we decide as a nation that we want to protect the right of abortion or ban abortions, either way, you know, either way the nation goes, that can be done. Yes, through, legally, yeah. Even mm -hmm. without the Supreme Court, even without the, the political machinations of the Supreme Court, it could be not easily done, but relatively easily done, especially if people agreed. The reason that hasn't happened is because people don't agree, is because we keep getting Supreme Court justices who feel very strongly politically one way or the other. It keeps it messy. Right. And so- Right, which is to say there's so no clear we, answer there waiting for people to pick up and be like, oh, I just need to defend the Constitution, and that means- Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Your answer to abortion really should not be about the Constitution, mm -hmm. because it's not- It's, it's just not, addressed. not there. Mm -hmm. And there, there is no constitutional protection either way. Right. And so that means we need to deal with it differently. And so, so what we want to talk about, and, and forgive me, Dan, if I'm, jumping the gun, if I'm jumping the gun here, is what we want to talk about is all that nuance that people refuse to talk about. You know, we want to talk about it in a kind of a, a different way than everyone does. We're not going to talk about the constitutionality. We're not going to talk about Roe v. Wade and what that proves one way or another. We're going to talk about it like two individuals discussing what what should what is right and what is wrong and what should be legally enforced and what shouldn't be at at the at at the basic level, right? Can I add I want another disclaimer because that was a great disclaimer, but I'm disclaim still, away. I am ridiculously uncomfortable with this in a way that I haven't been in literally any other podcast. And I am going to put my foot in my mouth probably several times in the next hour or so, however long it takes us to discuss this. It's, it's undoubtable. Judging from our conversations about this before this episode, we're going to no doubt make some people very upset and sound very stupid because there's, but, but if there's any, which won't be the first <laughs> time for either of us or the last for either. of us. <laughs> but the, uh, so bear, bear with me a little bit on that because it's and and wait till we, we navigate all the pieces. Cause there are a lot more pieces than I expected here. Uh, there's, there's a lot here. <sighs> and with that, Go for it, Brad. So, so the first thing I want to say, and of the many things that will be said, is conservatives describe abortion as a, a very one-dimensional issue, that abortion is murder. And that's really all there is that all there is to it. That that conservatives, I mean, obviously you can break that down further, that conservatives believe that human life begins at conception. And that, therefore, when you knowingly kill an innocent life, even before it's born, an innocent human life, obviously you got to factor that in as well. I should have been more clear when I was speaking. But if you knowingly kill an innocent human life, it's an act of murder. And therefore, abortion, assuming that it's knowledgeable, assuming that they know what they're doing, is an act of murder. And therefore, it should be stopped and punished just like murder. 
There are there are a number or at of least problems. at least implied that it should be stopped like murder, right? They 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 yeah, say that's obviously the, that's implication. the implication. They believe that it's murder. Yeah, functionally, they then, often propose very different things. But carry on. And 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 that's the first and that's the first problem is that functionally, conservatives approach it very much like it's not murder, and the reason is is because even though they say it's murder, they understand that that is. It, that that is a problem because <laughs> I, I I laugh, but I, I I it's this is not nearly so simple on any level, and to describe it that way is incredibly reductionist. That, and of course I can't speak to this personally because I've never I've never carried a child, I've never been pregnant, I've never been through any of that. I know people who have. Obviously, I've got you know, a two-year-old son. And so I, you know, I went through as much as I could as my wife went through her pregnancy and the childbirth. But there's so much that happens there that is personal to to the woman who goes through that, that that needs to be looked at. That needs to be taken into consideration. And that's often what conservatives do. And they look at it and they take a look at it and they say, this shouldn't be treated like murder. And I think the fact that conservatives realize it shouldn't be treated like murder might be evidence of the fact that maybe it's not murder. Because if it really is murder, then shouldn't it be shouldn't it be prosecuted like murder? Shouldn't the, the woman who who aborts her child spend the rest of her life in jail like you would want any other murderer to? Right. And yet, obviously, they don't want that because they realize that that's wrong, that there's something wrong, that there's a disconnect. Yeah, in the way, in the way you're talking about it, from a conservative perspective, right, we're, uh, we're, we're assuming in this, in, this, as we're in this language the perspective of a conservative, uh, many of which we actually share, that this is a human life but is it murder? What is the crime being committed here? What, what actually is, is the crime? And if it's murder, there's, we have a very clear precedent for how people should be treated. And maybe that precedent isn't always right, but certainly whatever the worst, whatever the most extreme things you have to do with someone, it's murderers who you have to do it with. Whatever, whatever the limits mm-hmm. of, maybe that's, that's execution for some people. That's life in prison for others. That's depending on whether it's first degree, second degree, or third degree murder, right? It, it's going to vary a little bit, but we're talking, mm-hmm. you can imagine this. Imagine a, a, that you, you accept the pro-life argument uh, about the, about it being a baby. It's actually a human life. It deserves to be protected. Do you throw? the woman who induces an abortion in herself in jail for life. Obviously not. Or at least for a very long for time. for a very if long you, time. Yeah, if you right. match that up with other, right. with other right. murder which, laws. Which penalty that you give to murderers are you comfortable with attaching to that woman? And ha- Because last time I checked, conservatives weren't on board with almost any kind of amnesty for, for murders or any other serious crime. Right, right. Right. And if you wouldn't waive it for them, why would you waive it here? The crime. What's the difference? If there is a crime there, there clearly seems to be something different. And it's different in the way, as you said, the evidence is in the way that we would not treat them the same way. We would not treat them the same way. You would not treat someone who had an abortion like you'd treat a first degree murderer, which is to say you would get them under control and isolate them from society as fast as possible in the fear that they might, you know, they've, 
that's it's so different it's so different mm-hmm. and to to describe it as murder it might be a partially a tactic a tactical decision right conservatives might say we should use the word murder because it gets the the proper reaction for the seriousness of it i don't think that's accurate i don't i think it's actually done a serious disservice mm-hmm. and the fact that you and and the the evidence as you were saying that you they don't actually believe that it's murder and that you can see that in the way that they they would treat people who participate in it, whether it be the doctor or the person seeking. Of course, that's the, the the funny thing here is that the problem is once you start using the rhetoric, you're naturally going to believe the rhetoric. And so I, I believe that what happens here is that, you know, you follow that rhetoric. And so now a large number of people really do believe unilaterally that it is murder. And and you may even have, you know, maybe some people listening here who would agree and say, yes, it should be prosecuted as murder, just as murder, that it that it should be on that level. And and in which case, you know, our whole argument here is a wash because they would say, yes, life begins at conception. It's an innocent life. It is murder. And let's prosecute it accordingly. You know, and what's what's the answer to that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, that's 25% of the population. First off, the, I'll make the functional argument because that's easy. The functional argument is you can't do that. You really can't do that functionally in the United States. 25% of the women. That's, it, it's not, it's not even close to the realm of possibility of enforcement. It's not even close. It, it would, it'd be like the war on drugs times 10. Times yes, yes. Uh, you can't, there's a certain, frequency of crime in which it just is not just impossible, but what it would take to enforce it would be so much worse than the crime itself. Um, you would have to, there would be a war and there would be all kinds of things. And it, it, it's, it's one of the reasons why when we talked about abortion before, when we talked about the, the, uh, we, it was in the context of partisanship. We, we mentioned that really a practical solution is going to take a great deal of persuasion more than it will take a law. Because there's no other way with how passionate the divide is and how close the divide is. But that's, that's, uh, that's the easy way out, right? The, the argument that it is murder. First off, there's a, there's a problem of knowledge. If I act in a way that kills someone, my culpability is going to vary quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I, if it's entire. No, and we have, we yes, have manslaughter right. we've, we've already manslaughter. As, a, as a common practice yeah. to, to factor that in. Yeah. We, we used an example of driving a car. If I, if I'm driving a car and I deliberately run someone over and they die, I've murdered them or I've, I've at least assaulted them. Right. If I, if I run somebody over accidentally and I'm negligent, it's manslaughter and there's negligence. And if you run someone over and there was nothing you could have done because they jumped in front of your car, now it's not even it's a not crime, even a crime. It's which is super weird, right? It's but it but it's but it's true. You could you can kill someone without actually being charged. Yes, with anything, which is yes. of course which is what self defense is, and that's more common than running someone over and it not being your fault. Yes, and we and but we looked at uh we looked at spreading a virus through this through these three categories, right? Abortion is different than all of them in some ways. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into those categories neatly. And part of the problem, Dan, is because in all these scenarios we're talking about, it involves so much more action. I mean, and, and so much in order to yeah. – so 
if you murder someone, it's very easy to not murder someone. Let me put it this way. It's very easy to not run over someone with your car. You know, if I choose not to run over someone with my car, it doesn't really make my day worse. (laughs) It doesn't require a lot from me. When, when you, if you're pregnant and whether, and and we're going to, and we can get into whether or not, you know, you, you tried to get pregnant or whether or not you could have avoided it. You know, I mean, there are factors like, you know, um, you know, rape and other things there that, that do play an important role in this discussion and part of why it's so nuanced. But the fact remains that holding that all that aside for a second, if you are pregnant, choosing not to do anything has a very real cost for you in many different ways that choosing not to run someone over with your car does not have. You know what I mean? That every, that every day that you carry that pregnancy is a real cost to you and in many different physical and emotional ways. Mm. I mean, you can talk to anyone who's been pregnant and talk about how much at work it is to carry that pregnancy. But on top of that, on top of that, when you choose to carry through a pregnancy, you're choosing to bring a human being into this world. And at that point, you are responsible for what happens to that human being. And that's a very real obligation that you are then stuck with, regardless of what you choose to do after the pregnancy. I mean, it's not something that happens super common, but anyone who's known someone on either side of the adoption situation, whether they gave someone up for adoption or adopted someone or attempted to, you'll understand how incredibly painful the adoption process is for for the mother. It's a very yeah. it's a very real cost and a very real harm that is done to the mother by carrying a baby to term and then giving that baby up. Right. And it's the kind of, and we're not just talking procedural, right? The laws are a nightmare on adoption, but even if they were ideal, that's not going to prevent the emotional struggle that is giving up a child that is yours. Yeah. And and there's so much that goes on biologically that, that factors into that. Uh You know, there's, there's, because the, the conservatives argue that why abort your child when you can just carry that child to term and 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 give it up? Let some let one of the many people who want to have a child and can't adopt that baby. And of course, they argue at the same time we should streamline the adoption mm-hmm. process. You know, they acknowledge that there are flaws in the adoption system. Mm-hmm. So, as Dan's saying, if we streamline that process, even still, often it doesn't work that way. Often, by a time you carry that baby to term you can't give it up for adoption for a number of reasons, a number of very strong personal reasons, biological mm-hmm. factors. I mean, just the, the biological bond that's formed is so incredibly strong and has nothing to do with your political or personal beliefs that just naturally happens and causes women to choose not to give up their child, even if that was their original plan. And even if they know that that is the best course of action for that child. You know, you can have a, a woman in, in who is not in a position to raise a child, understands that, and chooses to give up that baby for adoption. And then after that biological, after giving birth to that child and those biological bonds are formed, is unable to do mm-hmm. that. And that's a very real mm-hmm. 
situation. I don't know the percentage of, and but that it's, needs it's to be common. considered. That's common. I don't know. I don't know how common, but it's but it happens quite a bit. Uh, yeah, to reduce this is 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 simply ignoring too many realities that are realities. And the reality of that is because of that, because of the combination of of the difficulty of of adoption on a political level, you know, through paperwork, the difficulty of the adoption on an emotional level, and the difficulty of the adoption on a biological level, the end result is that by choosing not to have an abortion, not only are you harming the mother, but you're actually going to harm the child. And that's a that's real argument, argument that's right. made that that a child who's born in very terrible circumstances, you know, they could be abused physically, emotionally. They could, you know, not get the the physical uh, shelter and food and things that they require. And, they, you know, they could have stunted growth, so uh-huh, many different uh-huh. things. They could potentially die in childhood because of the fact that they were born. And that that needs to be considered. And that's not something that needs to be considered when you're discussing murder. You know what I mean? This is totally different. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So you've, you, we've got a couple ideas, a couple threads spinning right now, and I want to, I want to talk about both of them still. One of them was the the problem of knowledge I mentioned earlier, which is that, which, which doesn't quite map onto other crimes. Then there's this one that you've introduced, which is the fact that the act of, of, the act that ends a life here is not at all like when you're driving a car and you know it puts people at mm-hmm. risk and you know you're responsible for the way it works let alone if you're actually shooting at someone with a gun or something like that mm-hmm. right these are these are very different the crime that is a nurse forgetting to put the right medication in that then leads to complications that kills somebody is very different than the than driving a car or shooting a gun, right? There's, 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 mm-hmm. you can look at things that where the circumstances are different enough that the principles have to be adapted to them, like the, like we were talking about with the virus. Um, and that's, that's odd because the action here that's taken and how the person understands that action are very different. And that is how you would judge the culpability. That's how you would say, if someone's done something wrong, how would you judge how culpable they are and and what is necessary to solve the problem? Um, mm-hmm. which is, which is part two that we'll get into in a second, how to solve it. But the knowledge that a person has who goes in and has an abortion, when they, de- when they honestly don't believe that they're ending a human life is a serious consideration in terms of criminal mm-hmm. culpability. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. not a mere you can't just wave that away, right? You can't just say you're guilty of murder. That's that's not how that works. That's not how and if you did, right, you'd end up treating them in a way that doesn't make any sense because you've assumed mm-hmm. because the intentionality is missing and you've just ignored that. The intentionality of ending a human life is missing. What that is present in a murder. Uh in most cases, I guess not third degree technically, but anyway. Yeah, and, and and it's and it's more than just knowledge. I mean, I I had a conversation with with my wife about this um, just yesterday after after you and I were talking, Dan. And hopefully she'll uh, she'll forgive me for sharing this, and if not, I'll cut it out. But, <laughs> but she she talked about how. Well, I mean, her her she started by saying that. 
that, first of all, I don't understand what it's like to be pregnant. She talked about the fact that, that you know, when, when, when she got pregnant, we decided to have a, have a child. This was our plan. You know, we tried to get pregnant and then she got pregnant. And she talked about how even after all of that, you know, all this work towards this, she talked about how she still had this fear and this little bit of, of trepidation, not even a little bit, but this trepidation at the fact that not only is she suffering now, but at the end of it comes a lot of pain and physical distress. And then on top of that, the responsibility for another human life, this huge obligation. And, and all of that places a lot of fear that placed a lot of fear on her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that made her at times afraid of the pregnancy and unhappy with the pregnancy and something that she had to deal with. And that's in a situation where she's, you know, she's in a, she's in a, a relatively stable relationship. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've got, you know, we've, we're, I, I'm working, you know, we're in a, a stable situation financially. Um, and, and she chose it, you know what I mean? This is what she wanted. All of those factors are some of, you know, the best factors you can have in terms yeah. of, yeah, of yeah, yeah, going yeah. into a pregnancy. And even with all of those factors, there was this very real fear that was associated with the pregnancy. Yeah. So imagine taking out all of those factors, taking out all of that knowledge that things are going to work out. And in terms of culpability... You know, it's almost like, you know, you talk about with, with murder, one of the biggest things with self-defense is that if you're afraid for your life, if you're afraid of what's going to happen, that excuses a decent amount of the choices that you make. You know, you can take reasonable yeah. actions to protect yeah, yourself. If your fear is and, reasonable, and I, yes. If your fear is reasonable. And with abortion, there's a real argument to be made about reasonable fear because you have a large, long history of of children, of not just fear for yourself, but fear for your child. Yeah. I know there are people who abort their baby, who abort their child. And I, I know I'm not using politically correct terminology here. And I, <laughs> well, I, no, it's too, this conversation is too but, real but, to but worry that, about it. It's too real to, yeah, to, and yeah so it's going to have to, I'm, I apologize for the offense, but I'm just trying to be genuine here. But that they are actually aborting their, their child in order to help protect their child. And that is their knowledge, that, even yes. when they believe that that child is alive. And that knowledge plays a very real effect on not just the legal way of viewing what they're doing, but also the moral way of viewing what they're doing. And I'm not saying what they're doing is good. I'm not trying to defend them as this is the clearly the right, right action. Right, right, right. I'm saying this is a very real gray area. Yeah. In terms of moral reasoning and in terms of legal reasoning. Yeah, there is a massive difference between, and, and I, I hear people make these arguments. They go, look, the child ultimately, ultimately, if you do not let this woman abort the baby, she's going to carry the child to term. She's going to keep the child. The child is not going to have a good life. Right? The child, for the reasons you indicated, maybe they're poor, maybe uh, uh, the father's not in the picture. There's, there's, uh, little chance for finishing her school and different things. And this child's going to grow up in poverty and is much more likely to commit crimes, much more likely to get involved in, in other things that are going to have a negative impact on their life. And I've heard people say, so the child shouldn't have the chance to even try. And there's no reason to mm -hmm. even let it try. And I think that conclusion is wrong. If you start from the assumption that it's murder, 
Nothing else weighs up against it in a way that matters. And I agree with that. But this isn't murder. I start from the assumption that this is the loss of a human life. I accept that. I accept the, the traditional conservative position for a variety of reasons, most of which are, are I, I think the scientific case is there to say this is a human life and it should be protected. I think it conception is the only logical choice at which to draw the line and say this is a human life and it ought to be protected. That's, and that's usually where the conversation ends about abortion, right? It either is or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And from there, everything else follows, but everything else doesn't follow. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. So much doesn't mm-hmm. follow necessarily from that point. We started there, both of us agreeing on that point. Yeah, we both <laughs> agree on that point. Absolutely. And look at this and go, man, how on, where on earth do you go from there? Because, because in order to understand what the law should be, you need to understand what the crime and culpability are. And that, and on that point, it's extremely difficult to draw any lines. I can say, I can say that in 99.9% well, of cases, it's clearly not murder. And I, I want to add something here because we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about how the conservative argument that it's murder is clearly, it's, it's clearly reductionist <laughs> and that it's more complicated than that. But on the flip side, the argument that's made by, by liberals that it's, it's, I, I'm not even sure if I can, I can put this clearly enough, you know, cause I don't, honestly, I, I'm exposed to more of the conservative argument than the liberal right, argument. So it's hard, so I don't you know, have as clear represent it well. Yeah. But it is, it is fundamentally based on the idea that having an abortion is not the taking of a life <laughs> in, in the normal sense, because if it is, then at that point, they're opening the door to having a discussion of what role the government should have, of any kind of discussion. And the liberals have been very clear that there is no discussion that abortion is an unassailable human right, yes. which means that it's unassailably not bad. And if it's human life at, in that process, if it's, if it's at conception human life, then you have to agree to have the discussion. And they and they claim that there is no discussion, which means that they take the opposite stance of the murder. That the conservatives say this is murder, and the liberals say this is not a human life. Yeah. And we firmly believe that both of those sides are wrong. As Dan's saying, if you look up the 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 biological check marks that are accomplished during this process, that there is no clear line beyond conception where you can say it wasn't alive before and it is alive now. You know, that viability is not about whether or not it's alive. It's about whether or not it could possibly survive outside of the womb. And that's simply not a good check mark for life because you can have someone who's, I mean, theoretically, you could have someone who's so severely handicapped that they can't survive even for two seconds. You know, maybe they're on an, an incubator or something for, for years does that mean they're no longer alive? You know what I mean? Yeah. You can argue consciousness. You yeah. can argue brain function. All of these things, there are cases in the real world where we have fully established that they are still a human yeah, life. Yeah, you can't draw a line in those areas without putting, without authorizing the deaths of people who are not in the womb. <laughs> you know, there's no principle you could draw that would be consistent with, with other people, with people mm-hmm. <coughs> that aren't 
babies. Which is which is why you need to acknowledge that I mean really, I mean just from a practical standpoint, there's no there's no line you can draw that doesn't acknowledge human life inside the womb at conception without as Dan saying condoning it wouldn't even be murder at that point it would simply be some people are not people and you can kill them yeah yeah you can't you wouldn't even kill them because they're not alive right right you would simply by definition you'd be excluding you'd be just you'd be destroying matter at that point yeah which is so weird and and i've got to believe that even though even though that that's the party line that there's there's cognitive dissidence in the it's just like with the the murder exactly and so we're we're stating it like this to help to help illustrate the fact that on both sides it doesn't it doesn't work. You have to have double think. Yes, yes. In, in order both to cases, make it fit in your in both head. cases. And and one of the best examples of this I've seen is that if a if a woman who you say you've got a woman she believes in abortion, but she is, uh, and so she accepts that if she decides that baby is not a baby, but she in this case wants the baby. She has a name for the baby. She knows its gender. It's almost you know it's it's. It's however far along this process pushes your buttons. <laughs> and, and somebody comes and deliberately tries to assault her in a way that kills the baby inside her. If you accept that it's actually not a life until it's born, you have to say all that happened was assault. Yeah, that, that, that. A that matter inside of her was destroyed without her permission. Which happens when you get you know? when you get struck, right? Your skin cells die, yeah. and some yeah, some it's, extra it's, cells it's died. Assault. Yeah, yeah. But that that and 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 that but that what didn't happen is that someone didn't come and murder her unborn child. Right. She couldn't. She couldn't. She couldn't. Uh, they couldn't prosecute that man for murdering her unborn child right. because. That child was not a child. It was just potential. Just something else. It yeah. was a potential yeah. child. And so you could you could add to the assault charge and argue that that something else was taken from her in terms of potential that belonged to her, but you couldn't argue that a life was taken because it's not yet a human life. Because right. if it is, then you're acknowledging that it's a human life, and that brings us back to that gray area. Right. Which is obviously where it right, is. Right, because that woman, whether she believes in abortion or not, who was looking forward to the life of this child and was beginning to and you know had a bond with that child, is not going to feel like she lost a clump of cells. She's going to mm-hmm. feel like someone murdered a child. And if you told her that she just lost a clump of cells and that it wasn't alive and therefore Yeah, whether she believed in abortion deal, or not, she would that would obviously be that would be enough. cruel, and I don't think anyone and I don't think anyone no, would no, claim they that it wasn't a big. They deal. wouldn't, which which highlights the inconsistency, like you said, the, the double thing. Something is happening here for them to assert that it's not a human life at all, that it's and you shouldn't think of it as one. Yet we do all the time, even they do in the right circumstances, and it's just uh, it, which takes us back to what do you do? So let's let's assume that that everybody agreed that it is a human life. What do you do? Truly, what do you do? I, I think that law should be more than just punishment of people. We talked about it in our restorative justice episode. Um, that at least it could be in people who were willing, mm-hmm. law could be more about reconciliation and law in all cases should be more about restoration. Mm-hmm. How? 
And to whom do you restore things here? What do you, what do you do? I cannot see a world in which prison time, and I'm, I'm specifically focused on the mother here. I've set aside the doctor mm-hmm. because it's the mother that I'm most interested in. What do you do with the mother? I don't, I don't know what you could do other than talk to her. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to, before go, you please, go too far into that, Dan, I want to clarify. I'm, there's, there's a reason Dan's disregarding the doctor here, because to argue that it's just the doctor's fault and that he should be, I just said he as the yeah. doctor, but that, that the doctor should be uh, the one solely culpable is disingenuous. It is. You know what it I is. mean? That it is, yeah. it is the mother's decision to either abort or not abort, and the doctor is aiding in that. And so- Well, it's another case if where the if the doctor, is, if the woman wanted to keep the child and the doctor aborted it, the woman would sue the crap out of the doctor and he would be, he would get yeah, criminal yeah, charges. That would be an easy yeah, case. It would be yes. murder, right? It'd be, that would be a case. Which is why it's clear that it's not just the doctors who are, who are, who are doing yes. this. It's, yeah. it's the doctor is simply assisting. Yeah. And so if the mother is culpable, if the mother is culpable, then the doctor can be culpable too. But you can't have a scenario yeah. where just the doctor is culpable and not the yes, mother. And- and that's what Dan's getting yes, at. Yes, thank you for stopping me. Because, because conservatives have long debated, how do we stop abortions in a way that doesn't, that we can say on the one hand that it's murder, but on the other hand, doesn't prosecute the woman in a way that makes this politically unfeasible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you- Yeah, from because a, from if a, they were trying to establish jail time for, for the mother, it wouldn't fly. It wouldn't, it wouldn't fly even among conservatives, yeah. Yeah, because we'd obviously recognize it as the wrong as the wrong it's action. The wrong action. Yeah. So so conservatives have debated for a long time what would be not just moral but politically acceptable. What progress could be made on this front? And they concluded that they shouldn't prosecute the woman at all. Only the doctor. And that's the standard uh, stance of conservative legal theorists is that you prosecute the doctor, but you you just gave the refutation for that perfectly. That makes zero sense if the woman is not culpable in some way. <laughs> if the, the, unless, unless there is a vast difference in knowledge between the woman where she has no idea, which is possible, what's but unlikely. At all. But that's not what's happening in the majority <laughs> no, no. of the cases. Then and if that were that would problem, be an exception rather than then, a rule. Then, then you would have different laws yes, where it was, yes, you yes, know. Yes. But that's not what we're discussing. That's not what we're here. discussing. The problem is that the woman knows that there's a baby and whether they use that term or not. And, and so does the doctor. And how do you, and, and so I separate them because I think what the doctor is doing is fundamentally different. They're culpable for the same reason. There is the loss of a human life. Yeah, exactly. You establish, you establish the mother's culpability first. And from there, you can look at the doctor. Yes. The doctor, it would be like if you were looking at a murder case, you first need to figure out if this person committed murder before you find out if the person who drove them there yes. is culpable in yes. any ways. Because if it wasn't murder, then the person who drove them there, it's just, it's not going to be murder. It could be something else. It could be many other right. things. But at that point, it changes. Right. Was it you premeditated? Have to, you have to Did the driver know? Yeah. <laughs> that matter. You have to establish that first action, the first actor before you move yeah, on. Yeah. What, what is the action? What's, what's happened is there's the loss of a human life. How to describe that? I'm not sure. It's not murder. Except in, I mean, there are a few circumstances I can imagine that would be exceptions where I would say it is murder. 
But those would be exceptions. Uh, and we, we mentioned a few of them. If you actually attacked someone trying to end the life of the, the baby. Um, but I don't, and I don't have an answer because usually when we're looking at a crime, we go, what, what needs to be corrected? And on that, mm. things like theft are really straightforward. And things like murder are very difficult. Murder, in a lot of cases, we're not looking at what needs to be corrected. Ideally, there's some reconciliation. And that's a much higher law than what we have implemented in the United States. Yeah, but more than anything with murder, it's simply trying to stop it it's from happening. Exactly. Again. That's the purpose exactly. of prison. Someone has is identified themselves as a threat in a manner that makes them untrustworthy in the future. And you keep that from happening again. You're, you're mitigating a threat. You are stopping a threat. You're not necessarily trying to restore because how on earth do you restore a lost life? What would it mean to mitigate the threat of the mother? That seems inapplicable, right? Other than to say, other than again, maybe a question of knowledge in some cases, uh, how clear they, they understand things. But. But where then is the justification for legal force? And this is where, this is where this, the difficulty of this becomes really clear in my mind. If I knew someone who was going to get an abortion, I would feel justified in interposing myself with force to stop them. But if they have had an abortion, I am not sure I can even come up with what punishment I think is I, punishment even isn't even the right word. It doesn't make sense in this context. Yeah, what would you what would you do, Dan, moving forward, knowing that someone's had an abortion? You wouldn't do anything. Not not with force. I couldn't. I can not come up with, with force, no yeah. forcible solution that I think would improve the situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. unless again, I can maybe think of exceptions, but but in gen but a generally applicable rule, I don't know. Yeah, and, and so basically, let me let me translate for Please. you, Dan, as someone who's gone back and forth with you, you know, quite a bit over the last the last right. little bit. We know our, each this. other's ideas as well as our own at this point. I think on this <laughs> is that is that basically what you're saying is that abortion is a unique situation where you believe that first of all, you believe that that human life begins at conception. And that therefore, even though terminating a pregnancy is not an act of murder and is definitely something different, it is an act that is morally wrong on such a level, and not just on a on a moral level, but on a, a legal level that you level would with feel justice. that you would be justified in using force to stop that abortion from taking place. But that the situation is so complicated and messy and, and gray in how it actually happens that you can't see a reasonable scenario where you would actually be doing that. Yeah, I, as, you're, as you're talking, I, I thought of one. So clearly, let's, let's clearly the father would have standing to Seuss to, to get some kind of redress involved yes yes he ought to be involved because, and if no, he's and not I, involved there's something wrong right and that and and i and i agree with that i think that i think that uh paternity needs to be re-examined on a fundamental level i think that so i mean yeah, i mean yeah, let's yes, start let's yes. start at the beginning From, you know the 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 mother has to go in for checkups 
however that's being fa- paid for, the husband should be 50% responsible for it. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. because they, they, it's something they did together. And then they go in and, and she has the baby. And once again, the father should be financially responsible. Yeah. Part, you know, should be, should share the financial responsibility. And maybe it shouldn't be 50%. I don't know. And it probably has factors. There's probably factors yeah. that could go into that. But there should be some responsibility for sure. And of course, there already is child support, assuming they're not together. And so we already do have some precedent after the fact. But earlier on, there should be more responsibility from the father. But then on top of that, there also comes more... More say. More a more say, mm-hmm. yes. Because just as the woman has say in what happens in her body, the father has say in what happens to his offspring right because that child is partially his his in in and whatever that, sense that the parents a real yeah in whatever sense a child is a parents the father the child is that father's yeah because because if paternity and maternity don't matter then the only legal rights that a that a mother would have are the same rights that a surrogate has you know cuz mm-hmm. there are there's legal precedent for surrogacy and this is getting nuanced but i think it's important that there are, because I think a lot of people would disagree with what we were saying about the father having any say in whether or not the mother gets an abortion. And in fact, they've been very clear on arguing that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, here's, and here's why he does, because a surrogate does not have the right to abort their child without consequences. There are consequences if they do. You know, there's contracts that are set up and there are legal ramifications because it's understood that even though that child is in her body, I'm not saying she can't have an abortion unilaterally. There are there are rules set in place, and I don't understand enough of them to speak clearly on it. But I do understand understand enough to understand that she does not have full say on what happens to that child because they understand that it's not her child; it's just physically in her, which does give her some say. Yes, but not all the yes. say. And just like that, the mother, because she has that child in her body does have, I believe, more say than the father. But it does not mean that she has all the say. Because I would say she has the say of the mother, and she has the say of the surrogate, and the father has the say of the father. Does that yes, make sense? Dan? Yes, that, 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 yeah. that you may not be able to say what proportion perhaps each of these pieces yeah, carry. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a percentage. But, it's, it's but, not but 50, whatever 30, it is, 30, 30, yeah, whatever, whatever it is, it favors the mother slightly. Yes, yes, I think that's accurate. Um, yeah, it favors it to some degree, and that degree is worth debating, but it doesn't change the fact that the father has say as well, and that needs to be considered. Yeah, say in a way which I think renders an abortion, which even even under standard laws, if you could change this and, and change nothing else, I would change it so that if the father wants to keep the baby, there can't be an abortion. Um, but but uh, but obviously that's a that's a side note when we're considering abortion itself as a category, not just mm-hmm. merely the fringes of how it operates when it is legal and what you could do to improve it. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, and the reason for that is as you're saying because there is a very clear justification for a father to use force to stop the mother from aborting his child. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, and. Just like there would be justification for the parents of that child to stop the surrogate from aborting the child that that, that is theirs. Yeah. So I think I think so. We've got the loss of life. You've got the mother's decision. You've got the fact that in in many cases the mother will be the only person 
who is still alive, who is harmed. And that's, uh, that, that puts you in an odd spot. I, I'm thinking of how murder works, I guess, because, uh, not because I think it's kind of murder, as we've said over and over again, but because there are cases where, where it's similar, where the death of somebody leads to only one person having standing per se, but you'd say that the society has an interest is how, how it normally goes. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in mm-hmm. society has an interest. I believe in moral, <laughs> I believe in things that are just and unjust. And if it's unjust, it can be, you have the le- the moral authority to stop it. Um, so I think you absolutely have the moral authority to stop it. I really don't know. And I, I keep reaching for answers in our conversations that we've had. And I've reached for answers here in this one. I'm hoping to come up with something. I really don't know what to do after. I think you can stop the doctor. And I am comfortable with that, even though I don't feel like we've established necessary what I think, I think establishing the culpability of the mother has to be a case by case basis based on what they know in their circumstances. And I don't think, and I think the maximum is, well, I don't want to put any, any barriers on that other than to say that I think this is a new area of law and there isn't that something really hasn't been developed. Yes, yes. And I don't, and I think you could draw on, or it has been developed, but not nearly enough because there, there has been some abortion law developed. But it's so much less than you would think there would be. Yes, yes. In part because of the black and white narratives of both. You know, it's not a life. It is a life Mm -hmm. and it's murder. It's, um, but, but if it's, if there's something else involved here, then you have to, you have to develop it from the ground up. And, and I don't know what that would look like. I do think you could stop the doctor from practicing if that's what they're going to do with their practice. I think you could say, you have the skills to do this. It was illegal. You shouldn't do it. At the very least, your practice is gone. You're not going to be, you're not going to be able to do that again in the same way you would mitigate the threat of something else. The same way you would, you prevent robbers from robbing other people or murderers from murdering other people. It's a, it's a, it's not necessarily a restoration. It's a, a, some kind of mitigation, some kind of, some mm-hmm. kind of penalty imposed on the doctor's practice. And which is ironic because I, I don't like that the conservatives sidestep the issue but, and put the weight on the doctor when obviously the but woman is there. But you also understand why they but, do. But as, yeah, hopefully as you're listening to us, you can see why that is because I've come to a new appreciation of it because that part is more clear to me and what the doctor's moral obligations are here in not ending a human life, even though the, the parties involved are willing and such. It's, it's a, Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. obviously the, the child isn't willing, can't have a say at this point, um, which is why this is not a good thing at all, right? But that part makes sense. But it, it can't leave the woman out of it. It can't leave the person who sought it out of it. That can't be the, the, the just path forward. Your, your, your just solution? No, it has to include her because there is culpability there. I just don't know. I just don't know what it would look like and what would do any good, right? If there's an all of the ways you think of law, I don't know, <laughs> right? Well, how would you restore things? Well, you can't that, that, that I do know, but there's no, no solution. How do you, how do you mitigate this in the future? I don't, I don't know. Education is probably the best answer, but education isn't necessarily a, yeah. you send them to classes. I, I hate that as a solution for an adult. And like yeah, the, it's, it's not. That's, that's not it. I don't know, but I don't know what is. 
I don't know what is it. No, and I and I think I think you you hit on something when you're saying this is a this is a new field because I don't think necessarily that that the the doctors you know being being uh being regulated out of existence in terms of abortions as a solution i'm first of all first of all me and dan don't 100% agree on on the 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 moral and legal ramifications and and part of the problem is because as dan's expressing his confusion over you know how do you enforce how do you how do you enforce this yeah. this just this just act which is to to stop abortions right right we haven't we haven't and, even got into the practical details of like of like how the how an executive body would do that how a police agency would do that it would be a nightmare to try and enforce it in most cases which is another and, another problem you know exactly yeah. and and I think and I think I agree with Dan but I would I would take it a step further because I think even on a moral level it becomes even more confusing a great example of of where that confusion is born in my mind is I is I picture a, a couple who who decide to decide to go with some kind of artificial you know in vitro fertilization and usually what happens is you have multiple eggs and you fertilize multiple eggs in order to get to increase the probability that that one will that one will be fertilized <laughs> and you you get the most successful egg the one that's most likely to survive and you discard the rest or you save them potentially but but 9 times out of 10 all of those eggs that are fertilized are not being brought to term yeah right? let me let me interject one detail cuz i know some people who've done this um interject away they they Bring kept you. all of the eggs and 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 deliberately at least tried to attempt all of them all of the fertilized eggs and, and starting so that, with the most so viable course, based on the based on their belief that and and yeah. that's yeah and that's someone who's who's, who's strongly, applying the principles in a who's who's yeah, applying yeah, yeah. the pro life principles because otherwise if you if your goal is just to have one child and you discard the other eggs or or whatever your your motivations are at that point what you're doing is aborting a child, you know, and, and you can go and you can look at, you know, you know, uh, you know, the, the morning after pill where, where you are, you know, it's, it's a form of abortion, but it's one that's just killing, that's, that's just destroying on the physical level, excuse me, such a small number of, of, of atoms, you know, this, this egg that's just barely become fertilized it hasn't even you know attached to the uterine wall it's yeah. just floating which is something that that i can appreciate you know i mean a gr something that that happens on a regular basis is is pregnancies that go wrong where the egg is so so small that that often you're not even sure if it was a pregnancy there are early miscarriages that take place on a regular basis and those are not necessarily always thought of the same way that a three or four month miscarriage is thought of. And that's pretty normal in for people. And that's something that 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 I've seen and, and experienced, you know, obviously third hand, you know, through different women that I've known mm -hmm. who have been through some form of experience of that. But it, it highlights the fact that that to argue that an abortion We just disconnected. Carry on with what you were saying, Brad. I was talking about how how there is a difference. There is a difference between you know those those in vitro fertilized eggs that are being disposed of, or a morning after pill, um, 
versus a, you know a a later pregnancy abortion and and I'm not arguing that it's not because it's not taking away the loss of an innocent life it's because it's because of something else that I can't quite put my finger on and something that I think a lot of people resonate with, with the fact that that is different. And that, I think, is one of the many factors that needs to be considered, along with what Dan was talking about before, which is the knowledge that the woman has, the, the situation that she's in, um, a lot of other factors that need to be looked at on an individual basis before we can ha- take any kind of culpability about what is taking place. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned that a, a, a frequent argument against the, the pro against believing that it's a life is people will say, well, you don't care about the, the, uh, you know, the, the conceived, the conceptions happened, but they haven't, uh, but it, but through natural processes, right. They, uh, they, it doesn't attach or whatever and it's, and it's lost. And you, and they, they make that an equivalent of an abortion. Say, well, abortions are happening all the time. Um, it's a, in a lot of ways, I think it's a silly argument because it misses the point. It's, it's, a. there's things that happen because of nature and you are not responsible for those. And there are things mm-hmm. that happen because mm-hmm. of your actions and you're responsible for those. And, and I think it's that simple. There's, there are things which happen because of, of what we do rather than what we, and, and then there are things that are, happen outside of our knowledge that we can't be culpable for either. So there's a lot of things that happen. Like if you're taking birth control and you, uh, and you somehow conceive without knowing it, you continue to take birth control that causes an abortion and all of this would happen and you never know, right? You are, you obviously are not morally culpable for that action. You, you didn't know. You couldn't have known. And that, uh, that brings up some interesting questions, perhaps, about the ethics of, uh, of birth control in general, um, which, which leads mm-hmm. to, I think, the, the Catholic stance on it. Um, but, uh, but, but you can have, you can agree that it's a human life and have a different opinion on that. Um, Mm-hmm. The, uh, and what you were saying about, uh, about in vitro fertilization, uh, it, there's a reason it was controversial first because it gets into the weeds of these things that we've been discussing. And, uh, and I think there's, I think what's missing there is the natural emotional attachment that forms when you are pregnant and the process is going mm-hmm. forward. But that's, mm-hmm. but I don't think the absence of that and this is probably a point we disagree on. I don't think the absence of that actually does change anything. I, it doesn't, I don't think it changes the, the nature of it as a life, though it might, it might have an effect on things like culpability and the way it's viewed like that. Cause it does, it does affect the perceptions and thus it does affect the culpability and different things. Yeah. And, on, and, it, yeah. and it affects the, yeah, it, and, and, and it's not just the culpability, but the, the moral aspect yes, of it yes, too. Yes, yes, yes. So much of, of what makes our actions good or, or bad on a purely moral level is how we interpret those actions. Yes. How we interpret them at the you time going into the decision, our knowledge at the time and how, yes, absolutely. You're judged. If you were to be judged perfectly, you'd be judged against what you know when you make the decision, not against what you know after or when you're in your clearest and, head. Or and like. then, and then taking that back to the culpability. Yeah. I think there definitely is yes. different culpability. And that 
and so that does make it the reason I'm bringing this up is because I I want I want to be clear that at least from my perspective you can fully accept that human life begins at at conception and still understand that there are legal and moral gray areas when it comes to yeah. abortion and and that's okay that 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 is a, that is a legitimate place to be and I think that when it comes down to it you take the politics out of it. I think that's where most people are. It really is. Is in some kind of moral gray area. And we keep, people keep trying to suck us over to one side or the other. And, and, and so I'm trying to be the voice here. I'm trying to be someone that you can listen to who's defending what you might actually really believe when you get past those outer layers. Yes, yes. Which is what we need, right? Because the outer layers are doing us very little good. <laughs> they're doing no, it's a no good. It's disservice, yeah. They're doing no good, uh, and they're and it's ignoring, it's ignoring the real difficulties of the issue. Which is what, which is even if you we were all on the same page and, about and the to, nature to, of to, it, where we go from there is very difficult to decide. And and to build on that doing no good, this conservative law in Texas is a great example because conservatives would argue, you know, <laughs> it's the wartime mentality. We got to get what we can. This law is not going to accomplish that. This law is not going to stand. And it's actually creating a large amount of ammunition for the other side and is going to strengthen the pro-choice movement in many different ways. <laughs> uh -huh. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. and, and it's something that keeps yeah. happening because when pro-choice people, you know, act in that in ways like this Texas law, but on the other side. It does the exact same thing for pro-life people. It strengthens it strengthens their convictions right. and makes them less likely to budge. That the the argument that is made with the wartime mentality is because it's wartime, we have to push harder. When in reality, the harder you push, the less you're going to accomplish. That that the wartime mentality is a Chinese finger trap, <laughs> and and that you just need to let go for a second. And you'll realize you've been tugging against nothing. right, which is not to say discard your passion or your conviction. It's to say no. it's to say channel them in productive ways, right? It's to say uh, reconsider how you're going about it, so that you can actually have conversations. Because at the end of the day, persuasion will do will do what what these laws will never do. These laws are never going to get us there. I I no, and that's, I love this law sorry. in some ways. I think the political the the legal innovations in it are extremely trippy and suggest all kinds of things. <laughs> it's a it's got serious problems and it isn't going to advance the cause in in terms of uh pro life as Brad was saying. It's not. It's not for all its <laughs> though I like it. I I may even like that they tried it. It's not this is not a victory even if it stayed in place. I don't think it would be it would cause more problems than than it helps. Oh no, yeah, it's absolutely Absolutely not. Yeah. So where do, where does that leave us? Can we have any kind of wrap up from this? I mean, the bills, the constitutionality of abortion is a silly concept. The the idea that politics is going to solve it is so complicated and so gray that I don't see how. In part because of the division, and in part because when you actually start to get into what it would look like, it it looks it looks like new territory. It looks like something we haven't solved yet, rather than something that we've, despite how sure both sides are, it looks uncharted, which is bizarre. 
And I think, I think Dan, when you say, where does that leave us? I think that there's one area that you can look at, and that's that progress can be made and progress will be made when you search for the common ground. Um, <laughs> one thing that I remember from uh, the GOP National Convention uh, last year during uh, Trump's presidential campaign is that when they talked about abortion, one thing they specifically focused on was late-term abortions. And the reason they did that is because most Americans do not believe in late-term yeah, abortions. I think abortion. it's a vast so instead majority. Of focusing, mm-hmm. Yes, and so instead of focusing on areas where we disagree and trying to push the boundary farther that way, like this Texas law is doing, yeah. which, as Dan said, is not going to accomplish something, they instead said, hey, the vast Americans, the vast majority of Americans believe that there is something morally reprehensible about very late-term abortions. And yet there are so many states that allow them. You know, that's one of the things that we're looking at is that something that's still legally allowed, even though most Americans think it shouldn't be. So let's work on that. And I point that out as just an example of how even that, which is still somewhat controversial, moving towards common ground and moving towards understanding where the other side is coming from is going to be much more effective than pulling away. Yes. And that's what we need to have with abortion is not just that, but even more discussions about these gray areas and what can be done. And I think, and and this is important, is, is this is far beyond the GOP National Convention. I think a lot of these solutions, as we've said before, are going to be non-government. Because as Dan's saying that Government action in case in in general is difficult, but when it comes to abortion, is more often than not going to cause more harm than good, and that that true that true positive change is going to come through non government action. I firmly believe absolutely that. absolutely in this case, I don't see a way forward that isn't almost entirely in the private sphere, and uh, you you mentioned. I, we mentioned how uncomfortable this conversation is, or I did, how uh, it makes us both uncomfortable, but me in particular. Uh, I, when we talked about racism way back when, when we were just doing like our, it was like our seventh episode, was it? I think so. It yeah. took a lot of talking between us and reading and things to get to a point where I felt sure enough in what I was throwing out there to be what felt at the time like a lone voice. Now, since then, I feel like lots of people ended up reading the exact same books we did. If we had been famous, we would have been trendsetters trendsender- because we were ahead of the <laughs> curve. But And and I think uh, at this point, you can have discussions about it that you couldn't then. I have never heard a conversation like the one we just had on abortion, ever, from any source. Which which seems weird. Which is Which seems weird. Either we're up in the night. And that's entirely possible, right? I, maybe, maybe Brad and I are saying things that aren't there. We're, we're complicating things that are not that complicated. That's possible. But I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, we, well, obviously we don't think we are. We would not have made an episode. <laughs> Brad, I'm glad to hear you don't think so. I thought you did and we were wasting our time here. <laughs> my, my goal here is to say obvious things. I'm doing what I can. <laughs> but I have never heard someone talk about it this way with with perhaps i mean not not in an extended conversation like this jordan peterson was asked once what he thought of abortion and he said he thought for a moment and silence then said i think first off that abortion is wrong 
but it's not that simple. And then he began to talk about it for a few minutes. And his answer is worth listening to because I think he's on to, he was at least on to some of the same things we're talking about. How, how most of the problems that lead you to a situation where abortion seems like a good idea are entirely preventable and things that should not have happened, right? And then the ideally society would have addressed long before it got to it. Abortions, whatever you think of abortions, you could rapidly decrease the amount of abortions through a lot of things that are entirely unrelated, right? Mm -hmm. Things that have Mm -hmm. gone wrong in people's lives, help that could have been given and wasn't, uh, decisions that could have been made better that weren't for a variety of reasons and circumstances. No, and that's part of what we're talking about when I say non-government action. Yes, I mean, just something as simple as making sure that those who want it have access to birth control could make a huge difference, and you don't need government to do that. You know, if your goal is to reduce the number of abortions, you know, speaking as pro-life, from you know, as pro-life, that would be a very simple yeah, solution. Yeah, sex education uh, done mm-hmm. properly. Huge. Obviously, that's a <laughs> as I say that. Well, the, the and, way and the way it's done. And that's and that might be part of the problem is that pro-life groups tend to not favor things like teaching prophylaxis, and I think that's a mistake. I am I am a, a, a pro-life advocate who believes strongly in sex education. And and uh obviously uh birth control. Well yeah and, and, and sex education usually includes at least knowledge birth of it. And, yes, of yes, it. yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, the famous, the, the famous or infamous is that, you know, is the handing out of condoms, you know, in the sex education <laughs> uh-huh, classes, right. which is a, is a, you know, a rudimentary, but very, but effective form of birth. Control. Right. And it's entirely possible that some forms of sex education are such that they, they preach abortion with so little negative connotation that people, they don't rely on it for, uh, for birth control, but they take risks they wouldn't if they thought abortion was worse, right? They, they- well, and, and here's the problem, Dan, is if you don't believe in sex education at all, you cut yourself out of the discussion of what a sex education Of what sex should education look like. should look like. If you yes. say sex education is just abstinence and anything else is a problem, you cut yourself out of the negotiation process. Instead of saying, I believe in sex education but here's what I do believe in regards to these issues and let's ha- let's come to the table and talk about it and see if we can reach an agreement. Yes, tactically. Approaching it that way is going to get you into the door when abstinence only is going to get you shut out. Yes. You're either going to win and get abstinence only or you're going to lose and get nothing. Right. I'm a, and that all or nothing approach is a bad idea. I'm a firm believer you need both both groups. You need the group that says, no, this is wrong and I will not do that, period. And they refuse to compromise and they may be cut out of a discussion. And this is, this is it generally applicable. I'm not saying this is what I think in a, on this particular issue, but in politics, you need someone who will do that, who will hold their ground no matter what. And then you need someone who doesn't, who says, we've lost this battle and we can make it, it can be better or worse depending on what we do from here. And I want to make it better. (laughs) And they, and they, you know, they make whatever compromises they need to. I think. I think, I think you can compromise in a way that doesn't compromise your principles, right? You can compromise in a way that doesn't, that isn't deceptive, that isn't a lie, that doesn't resort to just playing a game and that doesn't uh, compromise or force you to be contrary to your principles and take either one of those roads and which one is right is going to vary. But yes, sex education is a good example of where people threw in their chips that they had in this game saying they weren't going to play and the result is their voices are simply not there. And that, and that may have been a, that was likely a massive mistake.
yeah, so yeah, we've, we've said a lot. We've said a lot. Let's pause it there. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And we apologize for any offense that, that, that may have been given our, our goal, as we said, was to have a genuine, sincere conversation and it was not politically correct, but I, I hope it was at least interesting and, and maybe a little bit helpful. Thank you for listening. Till next week. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.